Today on Blue 58, a 2-4 start to the 2023 season is far from ideal, but the Packers could still turn things around. But what if they don't? Would they really blow everything up? What would that even look like? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. Today's episode is a thought exercise. How would you know if it's time to tear it all down in Green Bay? What would you do if it was? Please don't misunderstand. This is not me saying the Packers should tear it all down. This is not me saying we should start that conversation now. This is me merely in a season that has started off a little bit slow, I would say, sitting here and asking myself, how would you know if this plan isn't working? Because I think that we've we've gotten a good overview of the plan from the Packers themselves. We've seen it play out on the field. We knew that they were going to get super young after a few years of the the late Rodgers era push for whatever they were pushing for. Well, Super Bowl, I guess. Uh, but the the roster construction to that end to maximize their chances around Aaron Rodgers. And we can sit here and talk about whether or not all the things that they did were a good idea, whether or not they were, you know, using their resources to the maximum, whatever. But that's what they were trying to do. They were really trying to to prop open the window, and it didn't work. They didn't get to the Super Bowl. They didn't win any Super Bowls. Aaron Rodgers is gone. Devontae Adams is gone. That era is over. Now that they're in the era after that era, how would you know if the new plan isn't working? And what would you do if you decided it wasn't? We are pretty early in that process. But if you are a good leader of your organization, you need to have those thoughts all the time. You need to know when the off-ramp is coming for your current plan because otherwise you might screw up your next plan by waiting too long. That's a long way of saying that Mark Murphy is at the center of all this. So, for the purposes of this exercise, I need you to imagine that you are Mark Murphy. You wake up on a, just pick a random day of the week, say it's a Wednesday morning, have your bowl of oatmeal for breakfast, he seems like an oatmeal guy. You put on your JCPenney suit, you put on your Green Bay Packers tie that you got on clearance sale at the Packers Pro Shop, and you told them that you got to use your employee discount on top of that. What a bargain for you. Then you climb on your penny-farthing bicycle and pedal your way to Lambeau Field because it's time to make some decisions. You wave at the sledding hill on the way by. You just think, a couple months from now, boy, we're going to be getting after it on the sledding hill. You are Mark Murphy. You are sitting down in your office at Lambeau Field, then it is time to make some decisions. How do you make that decision? Corporate decisions, business decisions, often come down to storytelling. What story are you telling yourself about what's going on with your organization? And in theory, it helps you get to the why things are happening and why you started doing things in the first place. You look at the evidence, you look at what's happening, you look at why you made a decision. You say, we're doing this because of this, and this has happened, therefore we are going to do this. You want it, at least in theory, to be less about, okay, we got to this exact number and that means we make this decision, but since we only got to slightly less than that number, we're going to do this. More about trends and feelings than about hard data. Because in a lot of these fields that involve people and not products or software, it is just about feelings. It's about how you feel about the results that you're getting whether or not those results are good. As Aaron Rodgers said, it's about the people, and people are at the center of this problem. 
when it comes to the stories that the Packers will have to consider, that you as Mark Murphy are going to have to consider, I think there are four people you have to consider. The four at the center of it all, the big four, if you will. And then after that, you have to think about how the stories you tell about those four people affect your roster going forward. The big four are Joe Barry, Brian Gutekunst, Matt LaFleur, and Jordan Love. And for each of these guys, there are good and bad stories that you can spin. And we'll go through each of those, both good and bad for each of these guys. Then depending where we land, we'll talk about the decisions that come next and what they mean for the Packers roster. So let's start spinning some stories here. Let's start with Joe Barry. He was first on our list, and I put him first because he probably has the easiest decision going forward. We'll talk about the, tis, the decisions at the end, though. Brian Gutica, or Joe Barry. The good story on Barry is that if he came into your office as Mark Murphy and he sat down across from you and you said, hey, Joe, how's your morning going? Blah, blah, blah. Let's get down to brass tacks. Why, if you had to make the case to me, do you think you should continue in your job in Green Bay? The story I think you get in return is that by and large, Barry would say he's probably held up his end of the bargain. In 2021, the defense was good enough to win. They were the second best tackling team in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. In the playoffs that year, the Packers allowed three points on defense. Special teams cost the Packers another seven. And our offense just couldn't help us out. 2022, we had a rough start, sure, but we rallied down the stretch. We were lights out the last month plus of the season. From week 13 to the end of the year, the Packers defense never allowed more than 20 points. The Packers defense last year was a big part of their mini run-the-table run at the end. Sure, we came up a little bit short, but you can't really blame the defense for that. We held up our end of the bargain. Then, so far this year, look, we've held four of six opponents so far this season to 20 points or less. And we've done that without a lot from Jair Alexander, without a lot from Devondre Campbell, a limited Rashawn Gary, and a pretty weak defensive line. And I think Barry would sit down and say, you gave me those guys for the defensive front, by the way. We're doing the best we can with what we've got. I feel like over the past three years, I've held up my end of the bargain here. I've put a defense on the field that you can win with, and you just haven't won with it. Flip that around, the bad story starts with the run defense. Players notwithstanding, the Packers' defense has been gashed again and again and again on the ground. We've all seen it. We've also seen some disagreements and just misalignment between the players and the scheme. Last year, there were defensive backs on the Packers that were pretty open about not liking the way that their scheme worked. And so they had to make some adjustments. They had to make sure that you could get guys in positions they were comfortable with and use them in a way that they thought made sense for them to be used. And some of that, I think, really bears out in the way that guys performed down the stretch last year. He also may just not be a good fit. The contract, in theory, is expiring. Maybe there's some changes happening elsewhere in the organization. You just want a new voice in the room. I think you can say that things that that Barry, even if you don't believe he's done a good job, you could say it in a way that is like, look, we know that you feel that you've done a good job. We just want to get a different perspective in here because that does happen from time to time. Even if someone is doing an okay job, you want to get someone who could get, like, say they're doing like a 6 out of 10 job. You want to shoot for a 7 or an 8 or maybe a 10. Maybe get somebody in here who's really good, really, really, really good, instead of just running the cliff's notes of somebody else's defense, which I think has, by and large, been the Joe Barry experience. After you wrap up your meeting with Joe Barry, maybe Brian Gutekunst walks into your office. 
You're Mark Murphy. You've worked together with Brian Gutekunst for a long time. He's been in the organization even prior to his role as the general manager for a long, long time. This is where he's always been. Is he the guy to fix what's going on here? Well, if he's going to be part of the Packers organization going forward, here's the story he might tell you. Brian Gutekunst sit down, sits down and says, I've done all that you've wanted me to do over the past few years. We had an all-in window, and we went basically all-in. We went to two NFC Championship games in a row. It's not my fault things fell apart on the field. I can only do so much. Things got rough with Aaron Rodgers there after the 2020 season. We sorted him out. He stuck around for two more years. He was happy. We were happy. We made him happy, kept him around, got the guys that he wanted, gave him a lot of money. Then we parted ways when it made sense for both both sides, and it feels like both sides are pretty happy with where things have ended up. We always knew that we would have to rebuild after what we did from 2019 to 2022. We've pretty much rebuilt from that. We've done all we can to put players in positions where they can grow, and we feel like we've got high-profile, high-upside players at nearly every position. Edge rusher, you've already got Rashawn Gary. We added Lucas Van Ness. Linebacker, we've got Quay Walker. Jair Alexander's holding things down at cornerback, especially when he gets healthy, even if Rasul Douglas departs in the near future. We feel like we've got some promising young players, especially as Eric Stokes is coming back. Wide receiver, obviously a lot of young players there. Same with tight end, but we like the upside of all these guys. And at the center of all of it, Jordan Love, the guy that we've been waiting for for a few years now. We just feel that he still has a lot of upside, and he's only going to continue to grow with the core of guys that we put around him. He is a very young quarterback, but he has a lot of room for growth. Growth, I can only pick guys. Everybody agreed that Jordan Love has a lot of upside. If you haven't de- developed the upside, that that's not my problem. I can't help you with that. That's someone else's doing if Jordan Love doesn't reach his full potential. I gave you this very promising lump of clay. It's your job to mold it into something more than that. The flip side for Gutekunst, I think maybe the other side comes back and says, well, that is all true, but the problems with the roster do exist. Not every one of these young players is going to pan out and be great, and a lot lot of the reason that the Packers have to make do with a lot of young players here is that the guys that Brian Gutekunst pick in 2020 and 2021 really haven't panned out all that much. Those are your third and fourth year veterans who should be leaders on this team. Instead, you've got A.J. Dillon struggling week in and week out. Uh, Josiah DeGuara not playing a super big role. Shoot, Darnell Savage uh, continuing to you know just be a middling player despite being the first safety off the board way back in the 2019 draft. Just a few examples, but that's part of the reason the roster isn't very good and has to be so, so young is a lot of the guys that Gutekunst has picked have not even close to panned out. They've not even become contributors. On top of that, you've got stuff like offensive line being a problem. You've got weak players at left tackle. Now, Brian, Brian Gutekunst isn't to blame for David Bakhtiari's knee falling apart, but he didn't cultivate any depth behind him really either. Rashid Walker doesn't seem like the answer there, especially in the run game. Elton Jenkins is fine at at left guard, though he has had a bit of a rough season here. Josh Myers has not been great at center, and they took him over Creed Humphrey, who's been terrific for the Kansas City Chiefs. John Runyon is having a down year. Zach Tom is solid, probably a long-term starter, but that's only two out of your five offensive linemen that you feel good about long-term. That's a problem, and Brian Gutekunst built that unit. 
wide receiver has still been a problem this year. I think it's still not clear if any of them are actually any good at all. Christian Watson, for instance, just can't stay on the field. And the Packers traded up to get him knowing he had injury issues in college, and injuries have largely defined his first two seasons. Beyond that, Romeo Dobbs looks like a solid but limited player, quite limited in a lot of ways. Samori Ture is, he looks like a seventh-round pick, and then you've got Jaden Reed and Dontavion Wicks, who both have had flashes this season but are still just rookies. There's nobody else in the pipeline, and they weren't in the pipeline because the Packers just all but ignored that position after Devontae Adams was drafted. The wide receivers, the meaningful wide receivers they took after Devontae Adams, Ty Montgomery, Amari Rodgers, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Jamon Moore, Equinemius St. Brown, you've got to go quite a ways uh, before you get guys that are really impactful, and it happened in 2022. It was most of a decade between meaningful wide receiver selections that have actually made an impact in Green Bay, and even the guy who has made an impact in Watson, well, he's injured a lot. Same kind of goes for the defense. The defensive line is a problem. It has been a problem for a while, and they haven't really tried to fix it other than with Devontae Wyatt, who's a great pass rusher, a very good one at least, but doesn't offer much in the run game. He sure isn't helping Kenny Clark in that respect. Devondre Campbell has not been the same player post-extension. In the secondary, safety has been an issue for a while now. So there are a lot of holes that even with the young team post, you know, all-in window caveats, you say to Brian Gutekunst, hey, there's holes here that aren't just explained by this roster being young. The ultimate criticism might just be that they tried to have it both ways. Brian Gutekunst tried to have it both ways, and it's not impossible that they may end up missing out on both ways. They opened the Super Bowl window, came out of it with no Super Bowls. They tried to build for the future. The future looks very much in the air, up in the air as of right now. Love and the other youngsters are having some serious growing pains at this point. You have to ask yourself, why should Brian Gutekunst be the one to see that out? Just because he started the plan? That's, that's a fairly high bar for me. On top of that, there is a world not too different from the one we're in right now where both Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers are still in Green Bay. We can't ignore that part of the Brian Gutekunst story. They had problems with Gutekunst, and a big reason that they are no longer in Green Bay is because of those problems. That cannot be ignored. Before we get to Lafleur, let's talk about Jordan Love, because I think Love and Lafleur have a lot of overlap. The good story on Love and I don't think Mark Murphy is probably going to be having a one-on-one conversation with Love. This is more a conversation he'd be having with other people about Jordan Love. But Love has shown some good things this year. His demeanor is rock solid. Things go bad, he's not too low. Things go good, he's not getting too high. He's making some nice fr- throws in almost every game. His decision-making is a work in progress, but you can point to progress that does exist from where he was in 2021 when we saw him for the first time against the Kansas City Chiefs to where he is now. I think 2023 Jordan Love probably wins that 2021 start because he really didn't have to be that much better. And I think with Devontae Adams out there and some other, I think, just stronger weapons on offense for the Packers, a better offensive line maybe, the Packers may win that game with a slightly better Jordan Love performance. And I think he is better now than he was in 2021. And if you just look at 2023, you can make the case that he has been close one to two different plays a game, and the Packers could easily be four and two right now. We talked about it at the time, but the Packers lose against the Falcons basically because they couldn't get one to two more first downs. If the Packers extend just one of those drives in the fourth quarter, late in the third quarter, 
the Falcons probably just run out of time and are not able to complete that comeback. That's about as close as you can get to a win without winning. Just one or two more first downs. You could probably boil that down to just one or two plays. Shoot against the Broncos. The Packers are driving at the end. And then a holding penalty sets the Packers up with third and 20 instead of third and what would it have been? Third and four or something like that after a Jordan Love scramble. That is a very significant change. Avoiding that holding penalty might very easily get the Packers a win. And on top of that, don't forget, Jordan Love put the Packers ahead in that game. Yeah, the touchdown passes were two of the most non-touchdown pass touchdown passes that you could probably ever find. And a near interception that Romeo Dobbs turns into a simultaneous possession touchdown, and then a ricochet off of Romeo Dobbs into the hands of Jaden Reed. Well, okay. We can't pin too much of that on Jordan Love. He still gets credit if the Packers end up winning for the fourth quarter comeback there. But all that to say, Love and the Packers were close. Love's record as a starter is different if the defense does their job to close that one out and if you do things like avoiding major penalties on the final drive. On top of that, I think it's pretty easy to say that the supporting cast has been bad for Love so far this year. He's had no run support at all. A.J. Dillon's been bad, carrying most of the load as the Packers' primary back, and Aaron Jones has been too injured to really contribute regularly. The favorable down and distance situations are rare. The pass catchers are all young and might just be bad. We don't really know for sure because we haven't seen enough of them for long enough, but for certain right now, they are not helping with their inexperience. I think there's there's enough there that you just say, we just don't know on love. There's some things to be excited about here, and they're really the same things we were excited about all along. So until other people come along, we really can't make a big decision on Jordan Love. But there is a flip side to that one too. I think if you're in the anti-love camp, if you're Mark Murphy really trying to push back on someone selling you on love here, you say, well, the off-field development was supposed to fix some of that issues that we're still, still seeing. Accuracy footwork, stuff like that. Those simple mechanical things that every scouting report said he needed to fix way back in 2020 still are showing up as issues today. It's also year four and not year one. Sure, it's his first year as an actual starter, but just being where he is in a contract situation, the leash is shorter. The Packers finagled some stuff around with his what would have been his fifth year option where they, they could decline it, but sign him to an extension for next year. That put him in a position to make a little bit more money, but give the backers a little bit of security if he turns out to not be good. The point is, though, that the real contract extension is bearing down on them shortly after that. You just can't wait around forever here. we got to have a decision one way or another in the relatively near future, probably by the middle of next season at the very, very latest. Even if you think Jordan Love could one day turn it around, It was about at this time, I think it was the 30th or the 31st, it was near the end of October 2008 when Aaron Rodgers signed a contract extension during his first year as the Packers starter, despite being under under contract for 2009. How would you feel about doing that for Jordan Love right now? I would be a pretty quick no on signing him to a contract extension at this very moment. That's not to say I wouldn't in the future, but it's not right now. And there's not a lot of runway left beyond that. Finally, what about Matt LaFleur? 
He sits down in your office as Mark Murphy. You're getting a little bit tired. Maybe we get some lunch in here, bump this meeting back to after lunch. But Lafleur wants to tell you the positive version of, of his time in Green Bay. So he sits down and says, look, we're in year five here. The first four years are pretty darn good. Year one, we massively overachieved. We were way better than anybody expected us to be as a team under a first-year head coach. 13-3, and three, trip to the NFC Championship game. Look, nobody expected us to beat the San Francisco 49ers, but we were there. And you know, if things break our way in that game, suddenly we're in the Super Bowl in my first year as head coach. You're welcome. Year two, on the doorstep again. There were some things that I did wrong as the coach in that game, but shoot, Devontae Adams catches one of two passes to hit his hands in the end zone in that game, and we are in the Super Bowl. Year three, disappointing to be sure, a lot of that is on me, but still we were very good. And if we don't just get a punt blocked and miss a field goal in that game, we are on to potentially a much better weather game next week against a team that we've beaten already once this season. Very real possibility that we are headed to the Super Bowl in 2021. Year four, we managed a lot of roster turnover. We still had a shot at the playoffs in the final week of the season. We really battled. There were a lot of things that we were doing well down the stretch there, and we just couldn't seal the deal. But I feel like we had a a solid year, despite some of the stuff that was working against us. And this year, look, we're managing a very young roster. There have been some bumps, but we are close. We feel good about the progress we're making. We've just got to get some stuff cleaned up. Yeah, that's an easy excuse to make. But I think we can, can get back on top of things here. And we're not all that far away from being in the win column in a lot of these games. Murphy hears all that. I think you turn around and say, look, we're looking at at trying to get back to the Super Bowl here. We're not looking to get close to the Super Bowl. And you came up short three times, twice as the number one seed. Your three-year developmental project, Jordan Love, still looks like a rookie a lot of the time. Your play calling is facing criticism from just about everybody, some of it informed, some less informed, Some of it is good, some of it is bad, but the fact that we have to have that conversation, I think, bears mentioning. As, like, you can't ignore this. Matt LaFleur, you have yet to succeed in a season where your starting quarterback is playing at less than an MVP level. The sneaky story of the 2019 season is that the offense and Aaron Rodgers weren't all that great, and they weren't really better in meaningful ways than they were in 2018. Just take a look at the explosive plays that they generated. We track those at thepowersweep.com. Uh, it's a fine website. I read it all the time as the president of the Packers. Uh, but explosive plays in 2018, the Packers put up 116. In 2019, they dropped to 107. In fact, even with extra games in the last couple of years, the Packers have yet to produce as many explosive plays in a season under Matt LaFleur as they did under Mike McCarthy and Joe Philbin in 2018. It just hasn't been as good at generating these chunk plays under Matt LaFleur as they were under Mike McCarthy. So having heard all of these things, having considered the good stories, the bad stories, all the factors, what calls do you make as Mark Murphy? The easiest call, I think, is Joe Barry. Even if you embrace the good story, I feel like you're probably justified in saying that the team just wants to go in a different direction. If you're going to retool, look, we've got all these young guys, no ill will toward you. We just want a fresh voice in the room. We're going to let things get sorted out either between Brian and Matt or Brian and whoever the next coach is or or Matt and the GM and whoever the next next guy is as well. I, I just feel like we need to go in a different direction. You've been great. You've been a model citizen here. You've been great with the media uh, in the exchanges you had with them. We're just going to go in a different direction. The next easiest decision is love. 
I think as far as his future in Green Bay goes, it's a pretty easy decision to keep him around at least to the start of 2024 and into that season as well. There's just little downside to keeping him around. Say the Packers really go sideways the rest of the season here and you end up at the top of the draft, you can still take one of the elite guys there. Jordan Love isn't going to be a threat there if you decide that he's not the guy and you need to go in a different direction. You've made your decision there. If based on available evidence, we think that these guys are better, you're just making another quarterback decision, that's what happens. And it's not going to destroy your cap to, to move on from Jordan Love. Say you don't get that high, you can just get Jordan Love some help. Maybe he's better in 2024. If he's not, you'll probably have a chance at another top guy the next year. If you get a top guy, Love is your bridge guy, your backup or whatever, you ship him off. Not a lot to worry about. No harm, no foul, though. If you move on, you tried stuff and it didn't work. If the Packers do decide that they need to tear all this down, the real rub comes in your decisions on Brian Gutekunst on Matt LaFleur. Do you keep Gutekunst? Do you keep LaFleur? Do you keep both of them? Do you keep neither of them? Gutekunst, you can say that the vision failed. We tried to get to the Super Bowl. We didn't. It's time to move on. If you say his plan, we're in phase three now. Phase one was build for LaFleur and Rodgers to get things rolling. Phase two was to keep things rolling. Phase three is to build for what comes next. You just say that phase hasn't had enough time. You keep him and give him another shot here. Matt LaFleur kind of has the same sort of prognosis. You say his vision failed. You were supposed to run the the Shanahan-McVay offense. You did for a while. It's kind of bogged down since then. If you need to move on from just one of the two, I think the GM is always going to win the office politics battle because you can't really hire a new GM to manage a head coach that he didn't hire. If it comes down to one or the other, Gutekunst or Lafleur, I think it's going to be Gutekunst every single time. Now, if you say that Lafleur just hadn't had enough time to implement his version of the post-Rodgers Packers offense, well, then you keep him around. But I think you're committing to keeping both Gutekunst and Lafleur then. It seems unlikely that if it comes down to keeping both, or that if, if it comes down to it, they would keep both. Someone has to take the blame for why this era of Packers history didn't work out. 2019 to 2022, you thought you were going to be onto something. You had an opportunity to, to go to the Super Bowl twice, realistically there, and, and then, then a third time you didn't even get to the NFC Championship game. Didn't work. Someone has to take the fall for that. The Packers avoided having that conversation with, with Ted Thompson and, and Mike McCarthy just because Thompson stepped down due to his health concerns. Then they ultimately hung everything on McCarthy there. They won't have that same luck, luck with Gutekunst and Lafleur unless something really unprecedented happened. I think, again, in the Gutekunst or Lafleur decision, if it comes to it, Gutekunst wins. Because Mark Murphy, don't forget, is coming up on retirement in the very near future. He has to be thinking legacy as he makes these sort of calls and who is going to have the, the bigger impact on what comes next in this era of Packers history. Brian Gutekunst or Matt Lafleur, it's probably the GM. I don't think he really wants to be heading into retirement with still new people at both GM and head coach. So I think he probably keeps one around and it's probably the general manager. So if it would be Gutekunst, what would happen next? You really start have to thinking about start thinking about the roster right now. And here's why. This roster is not really built to contend right now. I think that's obvious to everybody. 
It's also probably not built to contend in 2024 because of some of the cap constraints that the Packers are still going to be facing. Just trying to answer the question on, on David Bakhtiari alone is going to cost them tens of millions of dollars in cap space. And if he ends up filing an injury grievance, depending on how that plays out, it could cost them tens of millions more. It's it's going to be a headache. The real first season that they are going to be cap solvent is 2025 when a Jordan Love extension is going to be taking place. But that's when things are really starting to to look up for the Packers again. So anybody who's not figuring to be a contender or figuring to be a big contributor on the 2025 roster you probably should be having conversations about moving on from them right now. Let's have some of those conversations then. Jordan Love, depending on how this draft, this next draft goes, he'll probably get another shot. If the Packers really tailspin and end up with one of the top one or two picks, maybe there's a different conversation to be had there. But again, everybody else who's not a core contributor in 2025 either needs walking papers after this year or should be on the trade block right now. Aaron Jones is going to be gone more than likely after this year. Again, the caveat that we don't want to bet against Aaron Jones because we've tried that twice already. It has not worked out. David Bakhtiari, again, almost certainly gone. You never know. Even if you still think he can play, though, that's getting to be awfully expensive for a big question mark at an important position. What about Rashawn Gary, though? If you're even thinking about tearing everything down in Green Bay, you probably shouldn't extend Rashawn Gary right now to a big, long contract extension that is going to take him into his 30s. He's 26 years old right now. 2025 will be his age 28 season. That's most likely when the big money is really going to start to hit in a contract extension. Is that a great investment for years 28, 29, and 30? Maybe you think so, but I think as great as he is as a pass rusher, there are still some limits to Gary's game He's really just a a super, super great pass rush specialist. He doesn't give you a whole lot against the run. We've seen how he can be victimized by getting him to go inside again and again and again. But he's so good as a pass rusher, you almost have to think about it. But still, that's a lot of money to be, you know, dumping into essentially a a one-dimensional player into his late 20s when you're not even sure when you're going to contend again. Kenny Clark kind of the same boat. He's on the year or in the same boat. He's on the books for this year and next year, but his cap hit jumps to $27 million next year. And he's already in his age 28 season. A contract extension would be starting at age 30. I'm not in love with that idea. Jair Alexander, his cap hit jumps to $24 million next year, and it's never going to be less than that for the rest of his contract. By 2025, he'll be 28 years old. I think you're going to have to move fast on Alexander's decisions because he really hasn't played up to the contract extension to this point. And he isn't going to get bigger, which means that he probably isn't going to get less dinged up before 2025. Finally, Rasul Douglas. His cap hit is $11 million next year. Pretty affordable this year, though, and pretty reasonable cap-wise there for a contender as a result. He's going to be 30 next year. Regardless of what you think about whether or not he could contribute in 2025, you might want to trade him now because he just might be the most tradable guy on the roster. He's a known commodity. If you're getting him, you're still looking at a short-term commitment. You rework his cap next year to add some more void years and lower his cap impact. That's a pretty doable contract, and he plays a super valuable position. So if you're a contender looking for a second quarterback, cornerback, or a guy who can just give you some more versatility in your room, maybe you let cornerback number two move into the slot and Rasul Douglas can hold it down on the outside for you, that might be a good acquisition. But 
he's a guy that probably should be on the block if the Packers are even remotely entertaining the idea of saying, look, we need to go in a different direction after this year. In sum, again, this is a thought exercise. This is not saying the Packers need to tear all this down or do something different or need to, to change course right now. We are only at the end of October. It's, it's a very, very early start into a new era of Packers football. It's not as simple, though, I want to point out, as just saying fire this guy or fire that guy because it comes down to fire this guy and then what? On top of that, you're going to have to make some roster decisions now if you're even thinking about this idea, a Rashawn Gary extension, a Kenny Clark extension, Rasul Douglas's future in Green Bay. Those are real conversations you need to be happening, having, and they need to be happening pretty soon here, even if you don't intend to tear everything down in the near future. So that's probably what it looks like If you're thinking about firing something, if you're thinking about really changing course here on what the Packers have tried to do, maybe it's just not that easy of an idea. Maybe it's just not quite so simple. Or maybe you just don't want to go quite so negative. I get that. One of my big frustrations for this year so far is just how negative everything has has skewed just because the Packers aren't winning very many games, but also because every every loss prompts conversations like this. Is LeFleur to blame? Is Gutekunst to blame? Is Jordan Love to blame? Is uh, Anders Carlson to blame? Usually not. He did miss one field goal this week, so can't rule it out entirely. Maybe he's just a malcontent in the locker room and everything is secretly his fault. I don't know. I'm just throwing out conspiracy theories type stuff at this point because it just seems like people are also really motivated to be negative. And that's why, to continue to make it a trend now, doing it two episodes in a row, next episode I want to talk about how the Packers could fix all this. Less a preview, Packers-Vikings, because I think the Vikings are probably going to beat the Packers on Sunday. You never know, but I think they're probably fairly well-equipped to beat the Packers. I want to talk about how the Packers start turning this thing around. What has to happen? Who needs to play better? What do they need to do differently? How do they right this ship and at least start showing us some steps toward progress? That's next time, though. This is now. And for right now, that's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.